If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Play talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome in Wins and Losses podcast. I am Clay Travis. We try to dive into fun and interesting stories from people all around the world, sports, media, business, politics, you name it, and figure out how they ended up where they are now and some of the wins and losses they had along the way. Excited to be joined this week by Colorado men's football coach. I shouldn't have to say men, but Colorado football coach Mel Tucker, uh, who has uh, really done uh, pretty well in year one with the Colorado football program so far. Uh, And uh, we're going to bring him in and figure out how he got to where he is today. But first, Coach Tucker, appreciate you joining us, my man. Play, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, so uh, first question for you, and we're going to get into a lot of other things, but when you go to work for Nick Saban, I believe as a graduate assistant, yeah. in your very first, I think this is your first football job coming out of Wisconsin where you had played uh, uh, undergrad, how many hours a week are you working? Because I like to start off with questions like that because – uh, there are a lot of people out there, 18, 22, graduating from college, who listen to this this program. And my big argument is, you've got to start off at the bottom somewhere, and you also got to work a lot of hours. And I can only imagine what it's like to be a GA for Nick Saban back in the day. So how did that happen, and what was that like? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, uh, Coach Saban, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, my dad played at the, at the University of Toledo f- uh, football and, and baseball. He's he's in the Hall of Fame there. I came home from school one day um, as a senior. I picked uh, the phone rang. I picked it up, and it uh, and it said, "This is Nick Saban from the Houston Oilers." I'm like, "Houston Oilers? What? You know, I know I'm I'm a pretty decent player, but I'm not ready for the league yet." <laughs> <laughs> and he says, "He said, I just I just." Uh, became the head coach at the University of Toledo where your dad played and you're my top recruit. And so that's how I got to know Nick. 
and Coach Saban, and ultimately I ended up I ended up going to Wisconsin. But I got to know Nick through the recruiting process, and so when I decided to get into coaching, uh, I called that I wanted to get into coaching. I called Coach Saban. He was at Michigan State at the time, and um, and uh, he said that he had a, a GA spot open, a graduate assistant spot open, and he basically hired me over the phone. He remembered me. And um, and so I went to work for Nick in 97, and uh, my approach then was I was going to try to get done in one in one year what it took a normal person three years to do. And so I figured that I only needed about four hours of sleep to be able to function. So that's and used to be able to get a federal from GNC back in the day. And so uh, I would what I would do was I would say how much sleep do I need. Um, and then the rest of the time I would, I would just work. So I would work, you know, 19, you know, 19, 20 hours a day. So this is crazy to me, like the, the grind on that. So when you're in school at Wisconsin, how many hours a day are you sleeping as a normal college student who's playing college football? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think you're probably sleeping between six and eight hours a, a night, you know, depending on the the uh, the day of the week. So you're not um, one of these guys naturally who can just like. So you basically said, "I am going to do whatever I can to to kill it at this job," and you just basically put yourself through almost like boot camp, right? You're just like, "I'm gonna." I, I you thought you could get by on four hours a day? Was it possible? Yeah, I got the, most of the week I could do that, and then I would I would crash uh, some some days. Um, but there were some days, like the day after, the, like the day of a game, uh, when we had to break down tape and get the scouting report ready the next day for the coaching staff. I just wouldn't go to sleep at all, and I usually slept uh, a lot of a lot of nights. I just slept in the office in the in the GA office. I would take a towel out of the uh, out of the locker room. I would roll it up, and I would uh, sleep under my desk. <laughs> How much are you getting paid uh, to be a GA at the time? I was I made four hundred bucks a month for two years for two seasons, approximately. That is, that is so. How do you live on that? You don't. Yeah, you don't live on that. Uh, I actually uh, because I, I I took out loans. Uh, yeah. Because I actually had a car, and so uh, so I had to make my car payments. Where did so you I live? Out. I lived uh, I lived in a in a in a uh, in kind of like a little. Uh, apartment type of deal uh like a kind of like a town home type deal with maybe two or three other uh there were a couple athletic trainers that were graduate assistants they needed a roommate and so uh I lived in one in one of those rooms and uh I wasn't there very much but I I did ha- I did I wasn't homeless I had a I did have a place <laughs> but I mean that's crazy that when you think about it now because you're the head coach at Colorado. When you think about it now, is it wild to you that you would get a you would make a pillow out of a, you know, out of a towel and sleep underneath your desk? Like when you when you go back and you look at that now, uh does it seem crazy or is that just how bad you wanted it that you would be willing to do that not just for, you know, a week or two weeks or something, but months at a time? Yeah, it, it uh I look back on it. it. It doesn't seem that crazy to me um, because, you know, it was really, um, you know, the, the other graduate assistants with me that that, that first year was uh, uh, Brian Polian was one. Yeah. 
uh, Chuck Bulla was the other one, uh, and uh, and then Ted Ellickson, who works for Exos with the the the, the video deal now, and uh, and then Brian Dable came in the the next year. So it was uh, it was competitive, you know, because back in the back in the day. You know, you didn't have all these analysts and quality control people. You had two GAs and you had two on the field and two off the field. Uh, so two on each side of the ball. And so I started as an off the field GA. I was not allowed to go on the field and coach. I was working also in the weight room. I was uh, part of the video department. I was checking classes and just really kind of inside breaking down tape and doing whatever I needed to do. And I needed to earn my spot uh, on the field with Coach Saban. So um, in my mind, I had to do whatever I had to do to impress the coaching staff so that they would, uh, the, the, the next season, the second season, that they would let me go on the field. How, how tough of a boss was Nick Saban? For a 22-, 23-year-old guy, how tough of a job was that? You know, it was, it was interesting because for, for me – it was not that it was not tough for me um, because I I, I I knew Nick and when I was in high school I knew Coach Saban in high school and um, and I had always had really really tough coaches in, in in high school and I had a really tough coach co- I had tough coaches in college like I was in Coach Alvarez's first recruiting class at Wisconsin and so um, you know we had you know Bill Callahan and Brad Childress you know. Uh, John Palermo, uh, Jay Norvell, you know, those were my coaches in, uh, in college. And so I was pretty used to the, to that, uh, mentality and that type of grind. And, um, Coach Saban, um, really took a special interest in me. And even though he was, he's a confront and demand guy, like if you do something, if you do something wrong, he's going to confront you right there in front of everybody. It doesn't matter when it is. It could be in the hallway. It could be on the field, but he would, he would always explain why he, what he wanted and why he wanted it that way. And I, I really appreciated that because I felt like if I just, if I just knew what he wanted, that I could, I could, I could get that done for him. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you attribute your toughness to? Because I think a lot of people listening to us right now, we're talking to Mel Tucker, Colorado men's football coach. I don't know why I keep saying men, uh, but we're talking to Mel Tucker. When you uh, when you break that down, I mean, a lot of people are here and you know, you're working 19, 20 hours a day sleeping underneath your desk. That requires a certain level of toughness. You said you had tough coaches in college, but growing up, were your parents tough on you? Where did you kind of get that inner grit, that discipline to be willing and or able to put yourself through a job like that? Uh, my, I have great parents. I have two, uh, two younger brothers. We're all eight years apart. And, uh, but, you know, I was the only child for eight years. And, and uh, you know, my dad, um, you know, he raised me as, a, as an athlete. Uh, my mom was, was, uh, was really on me about academics and art. She's an artist. Yeah. Um, but my, my dad even um, – even as a young, I was always, he played Sandlot baseball, you know, for, for many years, you know, he, he would work du- during the day and then in the evenings he would play like triple A Sandlot baseball. And I was always like the bat boy. And yeah. so I got a chance to see him, uh, you know, play through pain and, you know, and he would have strawberries on his hips from, uh, from sliding in the to second base or whatever. And, and I was always around all these, all these, these older guys that some of these guys were trying to still make it in pro baseball. He was just really playing at that time for the love of the game. And um, my dad would always tell me stories about football when he played for Frank Lauderbur at Toledo. Um, and he would always talk to me about toughness. And, and, uh, and you know, he was my first uh, coach in Little League Baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, I was one of the few guys that could, that could play every position and, and uh, I would catch for him, and even though I would have a sprained thumb, you know, uh, he would say, uh, he would say, Rock, my nickname was Rock, he'd say, Rock, man, I need you to catch for me today. And uh, and so I would go in there, and I would every time that ball would come in there, man, it would just, I wanted to just throw my glove across, over the fence, you know. But he just was always talking to me about, you know, old school football, and, you know, we're, I'm from Ohio, you know, football's huge, the Cleveland Browns, um, it's big, you know, Ohio State. You know, it was just a whole culture of, you know, Midwest, uh, Cleveland, Ohio. You know, you know, freezing weather. You know, playing out, playing out in the street. We used to play. You know, back in the day, you know, we used to play street ball. You know, with no pads. 
you know, just uh, one one street versus the next, one neighborhood versus the, the next. And in my first eight years, I we lived in the city um, when it was uh, before the Cleveland Clinic came in and uh, kind of revamped that area. And so uh, it was uh, it was a little rough, you know, down there um, as well. And so, um, you know, it's just a, it was just kind of a it was just a, a culture and environment of, you know, just hard nose, hard work. Um, you know, uh, my dad would always ask me, um, and my dad's like the nicest guy in the world. I mean, I love him to death. I mean, he was like a great, he's a great person, a great, he was a great coach for me younger, but he would all, always ask me, are you hurt or are you injured? Yeah. And, and so that's kind of how I evaluated everything. And I think that, um, kind of laid a foundation for me to be able to, um, to be able to, uh, you know, persevere through, you know, middle school, uh, you know, high school and college just, um, and being around really tough coaches. I'm coaching, you know, back in the day was, uh, I think was a little bit different than it is now. You know, um, it was, uh, it was just, uh, there wasn't a lot of load management. No, no, (laughs) there was, there, there was, there was none of that. I can remember actually, because um, my uh, my dad had a friend that played at Michigan, and he worked for the uh, he worked for the gas company. He would he would read meters, but he also trained kids on the side. That was his hobby, and he uh, kind of picked me up and started training me when I was in high school. So we would practice in fall in in the in the fall. We would do two a days, and then I would do a third with him afterwards. I did that for about two seasons. So um, I was just kind of used to it. Did you want to go? You end up at Wisconsin, uh, and you said that Nick Saban called when he got the Toledo job, and he was trying to recruit you. Did you want to go to Ohio State? Did you want to stay in the state of Ohio? How did you end up at Wisconsin? Yeah, I I, I wanted to go to Ohio State like in the worst way. That was like that was like my dream. Yeah. I played basketball also, and then once I realized I w- wasn't going to be a big time basketball player, I decided to really just hone in on football, and I really wanted to go to Ohio State. Um, I think maybe that year they they took Tim Walden, who's a good who's a good, a good friend of mine. He coaches in the NFL now. And there was another another defensive back they took, and um, they basically you know turned me down. And so um, I was. Uh, how tough you know, was I, that? For, how tough was that for you as a kid growing up in Ohio, wanting to go to Ohio State, not to get that option? Um, it was. It was a. Uh, it was it was tough, but you know it was it was the reality. I mean, I you know I knew that um, I, I was going to have other opportunities, um, and uh, it just uh, you know I was I was really grateful to to have the opportunity to have a scholarship because I knew that my parents couldn't afford to pay for my school. You know, right. so um, you know I initially I was committed to the Air Force Academy with Bishop. Oh DeBerry. wow! I was a, yeah, I was a wishbone quarterback. Um, for we ran the exact same offense that Air Force ran. I was watching Air Force film. My coach had me watching Air Force film since my since I was an eighth grader, um, and uh, and I was committed there. And um, and I and I was going to do that. And then Coach uh, Coach Alvarez got the job um, at at Wisconsin. He left Notre Dame. I think they won the national the national championship. He gets the Wisconsin job and. Um, you know, Chuck Heater was recruiting me at Notre Dame also because they were, you know, they had Tony Rice. They were running some wishbone stuff, um, and they were running some kind of some option stuff. And and uh, he called me one day. 
he called me one day after Coach Alvarez got the job, and I thought he was calling me to to bring me in on an offer to uh, bring me on a on a visit to offer me because he stayed in touch with me. He says I think that there might be a shot for me to for you to come to Notre Dame, and he called me and said, "Listen, Mel, he said I can't take you here at Notre Dame, but um, Barry Alvarez just got the job at Wisconsin, and you should take a look, and we're and I'm going to have them call you." And I said, okay. And then, so Russ Jakes, who uh, called me from Wisconsin, he had just been hired as the offensive coordinator. He had recruited a friend of mine named Chip Morris to Northwestern a, a few years earlier. So I knew Coach Jakes. He's also a Cleveland guy, a West Side guy. And uh, he called me and said, uh, Mel, um, um, we just got here to Wisconsin. I know that Coach, uh, Coach Heater uh, says a lot of good things about you. You know me from when I recruited Chip Morris. We want you to come come take a look, and I said he said I know you're committed to to Air Force, but we want you to come take a look. I'd already used all my five visits, so my dad's uh, friend uh, paid um, my dad's friend paid for my my travel uh, to up to Wisconsin. I went there on a on basically an unofficial because I used all my visits, and um, and I fell in love with the place, and it and uh, and really it, it gave me a, it gave me an opportunity to. Uh, to play to play Big Ten football. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I want to go to that in a sec, but I want to go back to, and we're talking to Mel Tucker, Colorado football coach, I want to go back to the Air Force. So you are committed to go to Air Force. You obviously have to be a good student. You have to have great re- you know, great resume, good uh, referrals, all of those things. Do you ever wonder what your life would have become if you had gone to Air Force instead of Wisconsin? I do. I do. I think about that quite a bit. Um, and as a matter of fact, when I got, when I got here to Boulder – yeah, um, we had a fundraiser down in Denver, and it was, uh, you know, Coach Fisher DeBerry was was a, a big part of that fundraiser, and so he and I actually got a chance to talk about that a little bit, and because uh, we've kind of stayed in touch over the years, and uh, and it was one of those deals where you know my mom wanted me to go to Air Force because of the education, yeah, and my yeah. my dad wanted me to play in the Big Ten, and. Um, and I re- and and I remember saying that you know that if I couldn't play at Ohio State, um, then you know maybe I should just go to Wisconsin and and do that. But I do think about um, you know the mil- the the military commitment, you know the service commitment, you know after um, you know being in the academy that I I think it was five years that I would have committed. And so it was, uh, things would, things would probably have been a lot, a lot different for me. Yeah. And, and I'm curious when you go to air force and you commit, have you flown it? Like, do they put you in a fighter jet? I mean, how do you know that you want to be potentially in the air force? I mean, I know everybody doesn't fly airplanes, but do you have, I mean, do you have any conception for that? Like, how did you pick Air Force over, say, Army or Navy? Was it this idea of, hey, I'd like to be a pilot one day? How, how do you pick it? Obviously, football factors in, but how do you pick that service academy over the others? No, it was it was really football-driven for me. Yeah. Because uh, Sammy They Steinmark, run that same offense that you were running already, I guess. Yes, and Sammy Steinmark re- was recruited um, Cleveland, and he recruited me since I was a freshman in high school, and so I knew I knew Sammy, um, and uh, and and so that was and and, and so that was always kind of in my in my mind about you know going to Air Force and running the wishbone, and then as I got as I got older and I started to take and then it be, I started to take visits, you know I fell in love with the place. You know I flew in. I had never seen the mountains. Yeah, um, it was just a really different experience for me. Um, and I knew that I could, I knew that I could do it. I knew that it would be really hard, but I knew that I could do it. They did put me in a, in a, in a jet while I was there. Um, what was that like? It was, it was awesome. It was great. You know, and they had just kind of shut down the, the, uh, the tours to, to NURAD at that yeah. time. So I didn't get yeah. a chance to go there. Um, but I was just kind of fascinated with the whole, with the whole thing. But I had a, I had a, I had a personal relationship with coach, with coach, with coach Steinmark. I mean, I, I knew him like I, I've known, I knew him for like four years. And so, um, I was very comfortable with him and he, you know, he would always tell me about how, um, if you know, you, if you can, um, graduate from the Air Force Academy, you know, you'd be set for life. 
and I had heard that from him so many times, and that was important to me and to and to my um, to my family um, that I get an education that I would be able to be um, you know be successful in life after football. So you know that that appealed to me, and I remember when I came back from my Wisconsin trip. Um, and I think it was a Monday. I went to school. When I came back from school um, on that Monday, um, Coach Steinmark was sitting in my in my living room with my mom. My mom was in tears. Oh. <laughs> you know, so um, – and, and and then I got into coaching, and Coach Steinmark was still coaching, you know, at the time, obviously. And so, you know, he, he and I, you know, remained, you know, friends for, for many, many years. So I want to go back to that moment. So you come back after the Wisconsin visit. This coach that you developed a great relationship with is in your house. Your mom is crying over the fact that she wants you to go to Air Force. It's hard to say no. People talk a lot about saying yes. It's also hard to say no, particularly I think about this a lot when you're a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid and now you're in the business of recruiting those kids. So you've actually been through this yourself. How yes. difficult was it to say no to Air Force? Not say yes to Wisconsin, because a lot of times when you say yes, it's easy. It feels good. You're making somebody happy. Saying yes is easy. Saying no is hard. How did you have the strength there with your mom crying with that situation? It's a lot of pressure on a young kid. How did you know that Wisconsin was the right call, and how did you have the strength to say no? Yeah, it was very difficult for me. I, I had a I had a really tough time with it because uh, I I actually I loved Coach Steinmark. I mean, he was like he was like my guy. Like I like I I really really like had a, a lot of respect for him. And you know, my mom was all about education. All she wanted me to do was you know get a get a degree and be happy. She I don't think she really cared too much about about football. You know, so um, you know, but. You know, again, you know, I was a uh, I was an only child for like eight years, and so, yeah. you know, when you're an only child, you know, you spend a lot of time alone, uh, and just kind of, you know, taking things in, and you know, you don't, and just kind of make, you know, I just spent a lot of time with myself, and and I knew um, that I had to do, I had to follow like my gut and my instinct, and and kind of do what I want to do because, you know, I was the one that was going to have to do it. And and uh, and I knew that my and I knew that you know that Wisconsin was a great academic institution also, and I knew at the end of the day, as long as I graduated, my mom would be okay with it. And so, um, you know, I just, you know, I just, um, I, you know, I just want my dad, my dad. I kind of knew that my dad wanted me. To, I'm a daddy's boy, you know, yeah. at the time. And so I kind of knew that my dad wanted me to to play in the Big Ten if I could, you know, and and I, I did also. Um, and and then, you know, Coach Alvarez, you know, I really hit it off with him. You know, he's a, he's a man's man. You know, he just had a lot of charisma. He had, you know, he just, you know, he was a defensive guy. And, you know, Russ Jakes, I, I had known him from when he recruited Chip Morris at Northwestern, so I had connections there. And Donna Shalala, was the was the chancellor at the time at Wisconsin, and she, um, you know, she's from she was from Cleveland, yeah, and she yeah. she was involved in my recruitment um, there, and so um, so I, I had some I had some some connections um, 
there, I actually, you know, kind of have maybe ultimately more connection uh, to Wisconsin than, than Air Force, um, ultimately. And then, you know, one of my dad, the, the guy, the, one of the coaches who recruited my dad to, to Toledo, his name was Mario Russo. He was in the athletic department, retired, but in the athletic department, retired, retired from coaching, but in the athletic department at Wisconsin at that time. And so um, my dad felt like there were, there were people there that would look out for me if I went to Wisconsin. And so um, I just had to go with my gut, and um, it was a really tough decision. But um, I tried to, when I once I made that decision, I tried to not not to look back. You said your mom was an artist or is an artist. Yeah. What kind What kind of yeah. art does she do? She she paints. She she paints. Um, she does. Uh, she she um, she also um, she sews. So she do costumes for for plays. Is she still I in Cleveland it. today? Yeah, my parents are in Cleveland. They're in Cleveland Heights. Um, my my uh, middle brother is in Medina, Ohio, where I lived when I coached for the Browns. And then my my youngest uh, brother is, is out in L.A. Um, trying to make it. And, uh, he's like a, a photographer, hip hop blogger, uh, talent manager. You know, he's kind of he's kind of doing his thing out there. He's got Record a high producer. thing. He's got a high yeah, thing got, in his name. He does a yeah, little bit of everything. Yeah, he does a little bit of everything. He actually comes comes here to the CU games and gets a um, and he gets they hire him sometimes and he gets a uh, a, pr- a press pass and he 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 uh, he, sh- he shoots photos uh, for our games here sometimes. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is 
finally here. I'm gonna be honest, I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, So we're talking to Mel Tucker, Colorado football coach. All right, you go to Wisconsin. Ohio is cold. Cleveland can be cold. My understanding is it probably ain't like Wisconsin cold. Uh, were you homesick? You get up there, and and in your first year, do you ever question the decision that you made? Oh, I did. I did. I was I was very homesick. I was I was uh, eight hours away in the car, yeah. and um, and I, I wasn't able to get I wasn't able able to get home very much at all. My parents. My dad was not able to come was not able to come see me play often, um, and uh, my dad rarely missed any game that I played growing up. So that was a lot different for me. And um, you know, we struggled our first year. We were one and ten. You know, I was had been moved to defensive back. You know, I played both ways. I played defensive back in high school also, um, but you know, I, I spent maybe one day at quarterback, and then they moved me to corner. Um, and it was just, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really playing a lot and it was just a, it was just a totally different, um, deal from high school, you know, from high school for me. And I struggled, you know, I was, I was always one of the, you know, one of the best players. Um, and, uh, when I got to Wisconsin, it was just a kind of a reality check for me. Um, and it was a little bit of a culture shock as well, um, I, I, the cold didn't bother me because I was used to the cold. It was just, uh, you know, you know, the, my freshman year we were we were sitting in the, we were sitting in the dorms. You know, my roommates and some of the freshmen we were sitting in the, in the dorms and the, over the winter and say, "Man, how the heck did they trick us into coming up here?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, there was there was several times when I when I uh, when I you know I would call home and. Um, you know, I was I would tell I would tell my my parents that I wanted to to that I should have gone to Air Force. Yeah, and be a and be a quarterback. You know, just an option quarterback. And so, mom, you know, of course, you know, your mom wants you to be happy. So she's like, well, yeah. maybe you can maybe you can leave. And my dad's like, no, it's too late. You got you got to stick it out. You know, and it, it's going to work out. So I, I went through that, and that really helps me. You know, dealing with you know to uh, help the players that I've coached over the, the last, you know, 23 years, it helps me, um, you know, kind of relate to them as well when that happens. Yeah, I th- again, we got a lot of college kids or young people who listen to this, and and I think that that homesickness is so underrated and under-talked about if you go very far away. You know, if you're somewhere where you can't get in a car or your parents can't get to you easily, and I know technology has changed a little bit, but – I was so homesick my freshman year in Washington D.C. Like, right? I was, I was like, I, right. I missed, I missed home so much, and I think that gets underrated. And I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of that is a cultural fit. You know, in, ending up in a city school when you're a young kid, but also for you now, having been a player, but also coaching, you're bringing guys in who oftentimes are coming in and they have the responsibilities not just of academically trying to stay on top of things 
but you're dealing with just a huge cultural change in your life, right? And it's a kind of an overwhelming moment for a lot of people, regular freshmen as well, but I think even more so for athletes. Yeah, it's uh you know, it was it was a it was a difficult transition, um, not just on the football side of it, but you know, so when we we moved when I was eight. We moved from the city to University Heights, Ohio, and I went to Cleveland Heights High School. So that was a, it was a, uh, the foundation of that that community was a Jew, was a Jewish community, yeah. um, and so it was a it was a mixed deal. Um, and uh, my high school was 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 very very diverse, um, and so you know, but Wisconsin was not as diverse. Yeah, and. Um, and so that was, and then you know, I would go on. I went. Into, I would go into like lecture halls. Um, you know, as a freshman, you know, you got you, you know whatever one hundred and one or psych one hundred and one. Are you going there? And you know, there's three hundred people in there. You know, and there's you know maybe two or three football players. We're sitting in the back. You know, and like we're the only ones in there to look like us. You know, and yeah. We're kind of sitting, like what? You know, this is what's this? And you know, um, you feel like people are just staring at you. You know, now whether they were, or they weren't. And they probably weren't, but you, you kind of feel like that, you know. So that was part of it. And you know, um, there was we didn't have, uh, you know, my my dad worked, my dad worked um, full time, and so I didn't really qualify for um, like Pell Grant and stuff like that. But but I didn't have I didn't have money. I didn't have like any disposable, you know, money. And there was no cost of attendance back then, like there is now, you know. So um, it was, you know, you, it was room, board, tuition, fees. Uh, that was it, you know. So I'm pretty much I'm up there in Wisconsin, and like I have like no money, literally no money in your pocket or your wallet. Yeah, yeah, nothing, you know. So uh, that was and no really no no real way to get home, um, you know, or or for my parents to get up get up there often. So um, it, that was a that was a that was a tra- that was a, a little bit of a transition. Now, the the good news is is that I wasn't the only one on the team like that, you know. Yeah. And so, um, you know, my you know my roommates, uh, you know, over the years, you know, Carlos Fowler, Brent Moss, uh, Terrell Fletcher, Lamar Shackelford, you know, Mike London, you know, uh, J C Dawkins, you know, all those guys. Um, you know, we became very, very close, and that's kind of you know how we made it through. And and uh, JC and and um, JC and and Brent Moss were from Racine, Wisconsin, and Shaq uh, was from Gary, Indiana. So when we had time to go, like a, we had a, like a long weekend, or we had a couple of days, you know, I would I spent a lot of time in Racine, Wisconsin, or in Gary, Indiana, which it was uh, Gary, Indiana looked a lot more what I was used to, you know. And yeah. so that 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 helped quite a bit. So I know there's all the, the talk about paying players and everything else, and and I'm a capitalist, so I think people should be able to get compensated for their uh, for their talents. But on a basic level, doesn't it seem like in a situation such as yours that part of the scholarship should include money, for instance, for your parents to be able to travel to see you play at Wisconsin? Uh, and when you look at how much some of these programs are making, doesn't it seem like to you, for parents, grandma, grandpa, family members, like that there should almost be a stipend portion of those? I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to go out to a recruit and say, "Hey, I understand that you live in L.A., for example, right? You're in you're in Boulder. That that is not a huge trip, 
But if you don't have very much money, that is a huge trip, right? So if you're recruiting against SC or UCLA and there's a kid there and he's like, man, I want my mom to be able to watch me play every game, wouldn't that be – doesn't that seem like it should be possibly out there that you could get stipends for family members to be able to come and see you play when you look at how much revenue these schools are bringing in? I think that would – you know, I think that would really help, you know um, – uh, you know, I don't know if that's possible, but you know, yeah. I, I always yeah. when I'm recruiting players and I'm recruiting players from a distance. You know, one of the questions I ask is, you know, how long have you been playing football, and and uh, who 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 has come to your games? You know, and oftentimes uh, a, a, a young man would tell me that, you know, my my mom, my grandma, they've never missed a game. I've been playing since I was eight years old, and they've been to every single game every time. You know. Or my dad has never missed a game, or you know, you, I, I hear that, and so, um, and that's part of the, the recruiting process, and that's one of the of the challenges, um, because so, sometimes I know that, you know, those uh, the you know, the parents or the grandma, or whoever's, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be, they're not going to be able to see you play every, uh, and they're not going to be able to see you play in person. It's not just going to be possible, so I have to deal with that. When you are at Wisconsin, you mentioned that the first year, like in addition to the cultural challenges of being at Wisconsin, football is a lot better, and you suddenly maybe aren't the best player on the field or even close to it. Uh, when did you start to feel like, hey, I can play here, and did not being the best player maybe make you more aware of some of the intricacies of the game that have helped you as a coach? Because it seems to me – that guys who are supremely talented don't oftentimes make great coaches because they get so frustrated because they can't make the players do what they were able to do. Right. Whereas the guys who have to be on the margins, on the edges, and kind of work on the intricacies of the game sometimes are better at teaching it. Do you think that, in your own playing experience, has helped you? Yeah, it, it did. Um, you know, I I made my 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 first. I had a I had an injury played career at Wisconsin. It seemed like I was it was I was always like banged up. There was always something wrong with me. But I made my first start like uh, as a sophomore against Ohio State in Columbus, and I was out there with like Troy Vincent, who was one of my great friends. Um, and so I, I who now I is the head of the uh, NFLPA, right, or a VP of the NFLPA? Yeah, he's he's uh, he's actually you know he was he was. Uh, Doing some things with the league, and then he and he was trying to when the Demore Smith deal and yeah. all that was kind of going down. He was in the running for that, and then he went and worked for the NFL. Uh, and he was kind of doing some of their player programs. Uh, he was the head of that, and then he has recently been elevated, and and he works, uh, you know, right alongside Roger Goodell uh, now. And you know, after the first uh, day or so of the draft, he's the guy that announces the names. Right. Okay, my bad. Yeah, he's on the NFL side, but he's very highly yep. uh, highly ranked in the NFL. Yeah, very, very highly ranked, and uh, so you know, I, I knew I, I knew I could play, um, you know. But be, being, you know, being a backup or you know a part-time player, a special teams guy, you know, kind of a rotational guy, you know, you don't always get reps with the ones, you know. So you gotta, you have to, uh, you know, you, you have to still know the game plan without getting the reps, and then. You know, I had to kind of really, really pay attention. So, you know, I had some really good coaches, uh, position coaches like Paul Jett and t the uh, the late Tom McMahon, you know, guy, guy rest his soul. I had who had really good coaches that they were really technical, and that I really I, I knew like these guys really know what they're doing. 
Um, Coach Alvarez was a great defensive coach. I would watch those guys. I was always a left wing on the punt team for Bill Callahan, so he be- he became a, a mentor of mine, a guy that I loved. And so I had really good coaches at Wisconsin, so I so I was able to uh, to learn like how to coach playing, but playing for those guys because they were like fundamentally sound, like great technical teachers. Um, and I just really, really paid attention. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to be a coach, but um, I learned I learned a lot, a lot from those guys. And then, you, you know, you mentioned we mentioned I mentioned Troy Vincent and what he's doing now. But it's amazing, you know, the guys that were on that team. You know, my teammates and the friends of mine, um, Chris Ballard, the GM for um, the Colts, was a teammate of mine there. We've been great friends. Uh, Todd Orlando, the defensive coordinator at Texas was a teammate of mine at Wisconsin. Um, Daryl Bevel, offensive coordinator, formerly offensive coordinator at, at, at Seattle, and um, is a great coach in the league. He was our quarterback. Um, uh, Joe Rudolph, I believe, offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. Now was he and I, you know, took took recruiting trips together in high school. You know, because he's from Pennsylvania. We would go. To, we end up on some of the same trips. You know, Dewar Sharp was commissioner of the SWAC. Um, was uh was there so it's amazing how many guys on <laughs> how many guys on that team um are still in football now doing some doing some pretty significant things so when you become a GA at Michigan State for uh for Nick Saban back in the day did you know immediately then coaching is for me or was it just something that you did to test out how quickly did you know this is maybe the job that I'm going to pursue yeah, I had kind of been away from ball for you know a couple of years because I graduated in May of '95, and this was '97 when I started. So what now, did you do? Went, what did you, yeah? What did you do from May of '95 till you started this GA? I uh, I volunteered at my high school, um, coaching like basketball and and football. You know, um, just helping out, uh, and then I did some substitute teaching. Um, and, so, uh, like a lot of people who graduate from college, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your career. Do you move back in with mom and dad? Yeah, I moved back in, and you know, I, and I was actually still trying to play. Yeah, um, you know, because I, I had signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You know, come out of Wisconsin, and in the in the transition from Wisconsin to to reporting to training camp, I went home for a couple of days, and my youngest brother Jordan had the chicken pox. And I contracted it. I didn't know that until I got there, until I got to Hamilton, and I got really, really sick, um, and I almost, almost died from the pox. And so I got. They sent me home. They said, you know, we got to send you home, and then after you get well, we'll bring you, we'll bring you back. But by the time I got over that that chicken pox deal, I had a, you know, because I was a little bit older. I think it's a little bit more severe when you're. Yeah, older. that's crazy. So, but you said you almost yeah. died. I mean, I went down to, I mean, I was 190, I was 200 pounds. Man, I think I went down to maybe 165 pounds. So did you have to get hospitalized from chickenpox? They, they, they put me on some um, some type of meds, and I think I had an allergic re- reaction to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I didn't, you know, I didn't sleep for maybe, you know, three or four days. I couldn't eat. Um, you know, it was it, it just kind of kind of wiped me out, and then, you know, I thought that I was, I thought I was something was, I, I didn't think I was going to make it. And then, and then they, they changed my medication and I got better, but I was kind of, I felt like I was kind of on the brink, you know? Um, and, and so I never really, you know, so I wanted to try to, you know, build myself back up and play again. And, 
and I, I had a couple of workouts, but I just never could really get back to the point. I never wanted to be one of those guys that was always trying out and bouncing around and trying out, trying out. So I just, I just gave it up, and I just, I just said I just got to figure, I got to figure out what I'm going to do, and so I kind of went back to my high school, and um, and I, and I kind of volunteered coaching, and then, and I kind of liked it, and um, and that's kind of how I just when I decided I was gonna, I was gonna, um, you know, try the, the college the college ranks. We talked, about, we talked about the culture shock to Wisconsin. What's the culture shock like going to LSU? Uh, LSU, uh, LSU was like, I got down there. I'm like, man, do I need a passport to be here or what? <laughs> I mean, like, this is, it is crazy. This is, yeah, it was so much different, you know, and uh, it was like almost being like in a different country. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I gained uh, the food is I gained 15 pounds down there, and I, I haven't been able to lose that that last 15. <laughs> I mean, just uh, just the culture, the food, and uh, and the the football was kind of what I was used to. You know, they were just it was it was just a really intense. Um, but it was it's a different feel down there. It's uh, they they want to win so bad. It almost feels like it's almost kind of dangerous down there. Yeah, you know, um, I, I can remember coming out of my out of my office like after work on Thursday, and they were already be tailgating out in the park lot on Thursday, and people would just come up to you right away. Like when I first got there, they say, "Hey, Mel, nice to meet you. You guys know if you don't win, you're out of here." I mean, that was just common. You know, that's just how it was, and and so uh, I mean, you know, Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night, bro. Let me tell you, it's something else. So. Um, I, I like that. I went to Mardi Gras. I went to went down there on Fat Tuesday. And I took that all in, um, but it was it was quite an experience. So you've coached in the uh, NFL and in college, and you've been a head coach as an interim in the NFL and in college. Which do you like more, and why? I like them both um, um, for for different reasons. Um, you know, the NFL, I went to the NFL because I was trying to follow Coach Saban's uh, kind of his career path. You know, he was a college coach. He went to the NFL. Um, and uh, he told me, you know, early on that you, you, you're going to have to go to the NFL um, at some point, you know, to really, you know, learn ball, some more ball and become a better coach. And so that's why I went I went to the Cleveland Browns and I wanted to learn the, the Bill Belichick 3-4 from Romeo Cornell. I did that. And I, I really love coaching coaching in the NFL. It was like uh, it was like getting a PhD. All you do twenty four hours a day is all it's just all ball, um, and uh, just coaching you know coaching uh, pro pro players, um, you know guys that are making you know a lot more money than you, and uh, and so that was uh, that was a, a challenge, and I really loved it, and I and I, I became you know I felt like I was successful uh, doing that. Um, but there's a you know coaching college is a little a little bit different. Um, you know you you know these guys you, you you know like some of these guys I recruited when they were sophomores, freshmen in high school like Ted Ginn Jr. You know I, I've known Teddy since he was like 11 years old. Uh, yeah. You know Dante Whitner, Troy Smith. You know Heisman Trophy guys. I mean I recruited Troy when he was at St. Ed's before he transferred to Glenville before we got him at Ohio State. So. You just have those connections with the high school coaches and the families and the and the, and the kids, um, and then you bring them to to um, to college and you're responsible for them. You're almost like you're almost like a kind of like a parent away from home, um, and you're you're a role model and they need you. Um, and so um, 
that's like a huge responsibility, but I really enjoy that part of it. And, uh, and just in seeing, you know, helping, helping guys, uh, like work towards a degree and develop them on the field, um, was very, very gratifying to me. And that's why I decided to come back to the college game in 2015 at Alabama with Coach Saban. So you've coached with Coach Saban. How are Coach Saban and Kirby Smart, who you've also coached with, different? Because there's a lot of people who say, okay, Kirby Smart's doing at Georgia what Nick Saban did at Alabama, recruiting at a high level, defensive first guy. You've worked with both of them. How are they similar? How are they different? Um, you know, the the uh, and I think a lot of, you know, if, when you work for Nick, you know, that long, um, I worked for him three times. You know, there's, uh, you know, other guys that have been kind of saving guys um, or Belichick guys, you know, you kind of use a very similar blueprint um, because, you know, it, you know, it works, it's successful. And so um, in those, in, in that way, you know, at Georgia, um, you know, we had a very similar blueprint for success, very similar process. Um, but, they're 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 totally different people, you know, um, and uh, they're both you know great coaches, very intense. But um, you know, everyone is, you know, everyone's just so different. Everyone's got their own style of coaching, you know. Um, and I think Kirby does a, a great job of like just not trying to be Nick and just being himself. Um, and that's you know that's what I try to do. You know, I'm not trying to be anyone else. Um, and uh, you know, Nick Saban is. Uh, you really can't even compare him to anyone. Everyone's just so unique. Um, I've known Nick. I've known Coach Saban just so long. Like, like sometimes I feel like he would he could start a sentence and I could finish it. You know. So, um, but you know, very similar structure. You know, in the programs, um, but uh, totally different personalities. What's the happiest you've ever been on a football field as a coach or player? Um. Man, I, that's a good question. I, I, you know, this may this may sound disingenuous, but you know, I told my I told my players uh, after this after the Stanford game that we just had, we won like sixteen thirteen. You know, it was a walk off field goal. You now we had lost five games in a row. You know, and uh, we had some gut wrenching losses and. You know, I told those I told those guys. I said, guys, I told them in the locker room after the game. I said, guys, I've been in, that was my 300th uh, football game that I've coached in as an assistant coach or a head coach. And I said, I've coached 300 games. I've got two national championships. I've been in a lot of big games, won a lot of big games. But I told those guys, and I've really meant that. I've never been prouder of a group of guys, players and coaches, than I was this past Saturday. And I think it's because you know, I am you know because I am in the the head coach here. And I, um, it is the first year, and it was, um, you know, it, it, we've had some challenges, you know, shifting the culture here, um, learning, you know, learning, um, you know, how to win. And um, we beat a team, uh, a Stanford team that's very well coached. You know, I got a lot of, I have a tremendous amount of respect for David Shaw. But, um, you know, we, we won playing complimentary football, offense, defense, and special teams, you know, all working together. Guys were playing for each other. And we, we, it was a physical football game. Um, Stanford is known for being physical and fundamentally sound. We only had five penalties. We were able to run the ball. We stopped, we, we stopped the run. Special teams, we won the field position battle. 
Um, you know, we at the end of the game, our offense, we had our last two drives were, were over six minutes each. Um, we got some keys. That was the best defensive game we played all season, holding them to 13 points. Um, you know, we're playing a lot of young players, and we were able to take the clock down, call timeout with two seconds, run the uh, the, uh, the field goal team out there. We had a, a freshman uh, kicker. Uh, he was our backup, our starter, uh, was was down. He goes in there and knocks it straight through, you know, at home on homecoming, you know, after losing five straight games. So I can honestly say that was probably the most uh, gratifying moment of my coaching career. All right. What about – as uh, the most disappointing moment? What's the toughest loss? Uh, the toughest loss, uh, uh, even though the, the, that Georgia-Alabama um, a couple years ago in the National Championship game, that was, that was devastating because I felt like we had them. Um, that was tough. And even last year in the SEC Championship game was brutal. Um, but uh, probably the toughest loss was uh, – 2002, we go 14-0, and we, we win the national championship. We beat Miami in the Fiesta Bowl. The very next year, um, very next year, we're, we're rolling. Um, we go to Wisconsin, and uh, I'm, I'm coaching the secondary, um, and uh, we, uh, we come back. We got them beat. It's in the rain. Uh, we're undefeated. They get a, we knock the quarterback out. The backup quarterback goes in. Brian White, the offensive coordinator, calls it out and up. Uh, and Chris Gamble, my first-round corner, gets beat on an out and up for a touchdown. Game over. And no more national championship uh, consideration at that point. And, you know, when you win one, you go 14-0, you always think you're going to win another one. You know? And I didn't get another one until 2015. And so uh, I, I can remember the uh, Andy Geiger, the athletic director, coming over to my locker. Um, and I can remember those guys saying, you know, just saying like, hey, man, just get dressed. Just, uh, just uh, you know, let's go. Let's get out of here. Because I felt like as a coach, I felt like I lost that game because I felt like I didn't have my my player, Chris Gamble, who's a great player, first-round player, I feel like I didn't have him prepared for, uh, for the double moves. That's interesting. Uh, now you're at Colorado, and I know you got a lot of interesting fans out of Colorado. I'm a big fan of South Park, and I understand that you've met Matt Stone and Trey Parker, who are uh, South Park guys, but also Boulder guys, right? They're from Colorado. Yeah, they, I haven't I haven't met them, um, you know, we, but we've been in conversation with them, uh, Dave Platty here and others, trying to uh, trying to arrange for them uh, on when they get a, lo- a little less busy to come onto my podcast. Oh, that would be pretty cool. And so I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, and uh, and I didn't know that that the that the South Park guys. I didn't know they were CU guys. I didn't know they yeah. were Boulder guys. You know, I didn't know I didn't know the origination. So when I got here, and uh, you know, they start talking about South Park. I'm like, really? These guys are CU guys. We I, we got to get the, I got to get with these guys. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and the last couple of questions for you here. Um, what do you do when you're not coaching football? I know you, you said you slept four hours a day when you were working as a GA, so I know those hours all factor in. But you got two young sons, uh, teenage boys, and I didn't even ask you, but when did you meet your wife and how has she balanced out the uh, the coach's wife lifestyle? Yeah, I met my wife in, in Cleveland on a blind date. Um, she was in law school at Rutgers at the time, um, and this was like before I got into coaching. And um, Who set up the blind date? 
Uh, my 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 roommates, uh, Shaq's uh, ex girlfriend, who so, was uh, was was her roommate at, at at Rutgers, also in law school, set it up. They were coming to Cleveland uh, for a job fair. And so you guys go where for dinner or for a date or uh, what did you do? Yeah, we went down like down in the flats down there to like I think it was called like the firehouse where they you play shoot pool and do all that stuff. So So did you think immediately like this could be the one or did uh how did that happen? Yeah, uh it it, it kind of happened like that. It was kind of like uh, you know like uh I kind of asked her to marry me on the uh that 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 night, yeah. The first date? Yeah. No, no, no way. So you go out to, and you're like, this is it? And, and like, jokingly, you said, marry me? Or you were like, I'm convinced this is the one? Yeah, it, I wasn't, I wasn't joking. I'm kind of one of those guys that, you know, I don't, I don't like to wait around. I kind of, once I kind of see the direction I need to go, I'm, I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. So what did she say? She said, yeah. She was like, yeah, let's go. We, so how soon did you get? I'm sorry, go ahead. So how soon did you get married, like after you started right. dating? Yeah, after I got my first full-time job at Miami of Ohio with the late Terry Hepner, that the summer before that season, we got married in Chicago. She's from Chicago. And well, you've, been dating. Under- you've been dating how long? We have been, well, we have been dating. That was, uh, that, was, that was 1999 when I got that job. I think I met her in like 96, maybe. So it was you- kind of like a long-distance deal, yeah. But so you are at the time dating a potential lawyer, right? She's going to Rutgers, and you are a guy trying to work your way up. So at that time, like you're kind of out kicking your coverage, getting a, a, a lawyer that you're marrying because you're, you know, just kind of becoming a coach. Now she is married to one of the, you know, one of the big five coaches uh, in a in a major conference. So does she like look over your contract stuff uh, as, as the lawyer? Do you have her uh, rep you? Uh, no, she doesn't represent me. Um, uh, maybe some of the, the those initial contracts. Uh, yeah, you know, back in the back day. in the day. Yeah, she looked over those, but I've I've actually got some some folks to do that for me now. <laughs> it's funny. I have my wife do stuff for me, and she's quit like three different times because she says I'm an awful boss. So it's probably good to uh, to have other people instead of uh, instead of her in charge. Okay, so last question for you. You almost ended up at Air Force. Uh, you instead go to Wisconsin. You work your way all the way to become the head coach at Colorado. Do you feel like in some way you finally got to the state of Colorado where you almost went when you were 18 years old, a, a kid coming out of high school? And if so, how successful can you be at Colorado? How high can you rise? No, uh, that's a, it's interesting that you should bring that up because um, once I always remember the mountains um, – from that Air Force trip, and I would um, since then, you know, we would go vacation uh, in Lake Tahoe. I just loved, I loved that that whole scene, you know. So when this Wisconsin opportunity came up, you know, that was that was part of my thinking that I would have an opportunity to to be, um, you know, right there, you know, in the mountains, and because I, it was just uh, the air. Um, Felt a lot different than Cleveland. Yeah, you know, it was it was really clean. It was really sunny. It was just a whole different different vibe for me. It was like uh, it was very uh, kind of like motivating and energizing to me as a as a person. And so, uh, 
I've been kind of drawn to that ever since then. So I definitely felt like I was finally uh, going to, um, you know, be in that environment that appealed to me, you know, as a as a teenager, you know, as a 17, 18-year-old. And so um, how successful can we be here? You know, I don't believe in self-imposed limitations. Um, I've never been in a fo- – I've never coached in a football game or been any place, including Miami, Ohio, where we weren't expected to win every single game every time. And so um, my my goal and our goal here is to win a national championship and be in that national championship conversation uh, year, in, in the, year in and year out. And we're going to do that through shifting the culture here and through recruiting. And we are relentless recruiters. We recruit every single day. Recruiting is going well here. Um, I anticipate us being able to win a national championship here and be one of the premier programs in America. If I didn't think we could do that here, I would not I would not be here. Coach, good luck to you. I appreciate all the time, uh, and uh, I, I think people are really going to enjoy this. If you like it and want to feed, give feedback to Coach Tucker, he's at Coach underscore M Tucker uh, on Twitter. You can track him down there again, at Coach underscore M Tucker. I'll tweet it out as well. Appreciate the time, my man. Good luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That is Mel Tucker. He is the head coach of Colorado football. And this has been the Wins and Losses podcast with Clay Travis. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.